Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Well, Isaiah 58 gives us an amazing and incredible recipe for spiritual health and happiness. God says, if you want to ride on the heights of the earth, if you want your life to be like a well-watered garden, if you want to find joy in the Lord, if you want to find satisfaction, if you want light in your life instead of darkness and gloom, then God says, I am telling you right here in this chapter how that can happen. Verse 10 is a great summary. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will arise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday sun. If your life is a dark place, or if your home is a dark place, this chapter may have some answers for you that you really need. Don't overlook God's remedy for you. In this chapter, God tells us the path to happiness in very clear terms. If you make yourself your focus, that will result in darkness, illness, defeat, and gloom. But focus on the needs of others and you will find light and health and satisfaction. I don't know of another chapter in the Bible that is more encouraging, uh, more motivating, more stimulating to challenge us to give ourselves away to other people. It is highly motivating because it, it just offers such, such an enormous prize for living this kind of life. It does require obedience. There are commands in here. There are instructions. And the, the chapter is really based on the premise. If you do these things, then God will bless you in this way. Charles Spurgeon said, Though salvation is completely of divine grace, the happiness of the Christian does depend upon his obedience. So authentic Christianity, as is presented in this chapter, is to delight in God, to truly worship God from our hearts, and then to live for the well-being of others. It is to experience and to drink in God's compassion and then be a vessel of compassion to others. This chapter will make you think, you know, maybe after all, I don't need to build a life where I get all my own way. Maybe the passion of my life should be that others may live. We're going to delve into these blessings in detail later, but in order to really find the kind of blessing that Isaiah is talking about, we first have to see that there is a spiritual disease very common, or common to man as we might say, that will keep us from this. Israel was not experiencing these blessings, and God tells them why. I love the way Mike read this. Verse 1, the Lord said to Isaiah, Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet to declare to my people their rebellion, their transgression, their sin. What is this great sin? What is this great sin that the Lord says to Isaiah to shout it out like a trumpet blast? Is it... Sexual immorality? Is it idolatry? Is it, is it some unspeakably crass sin? Well, in this case, it is not. It is, it is combining 
God talk with mistreating others. It is talking about how near you are to God while abusing another human being. This may sound kind of corny, but a phrase I thought of from this chapter, it's like hugging God and hurting others. It's thinking you are good and moral and you belong to God, and yet you are unmoved by the needs of other people. It is acting humble, but not really being humble. It's worshiping God, but not from the heart. It's maintaining an appearance of spirituality, but not being spiritual. And Isaiah makes it absolutely clear in this chapter that how you treat people, how you treat people is the acid test of whether your worship of God is genuine. If you love God, it will show up in how you treat people. This principle is so completely and clearly laid out in this chapter. You know, if I, if I have a, a, a Wi-Fi connection, if I got that little symbol, and I've got a Wi-Fi connection on my iPhone or my iPad or my computer, then I know I can get online. If I am plugged into an outlet, I know that I can turn on my lamp or whatever I've got plugged into it. And if I have a genuine connection with God, certain things will happen. When the heart is right with God, it will affect how you treat people. It's as sure as anything. You cannot be saved by treating people well. I want to make that clear right from the beginning. You cannot be saved merely by treating people well. You cannot get into heaven by giving to the poor and needy. You cannot be made acceptable to God by getting involved in social causes. That's not what this chapter is teaching. But it is teaching that if you have a genuine relationship with God, then you will be compassionate and merciful to others as God has been with you. And there's a whole lot of people who outwardly look like they have this genuine connection with God. They outwardly look like they worship God, like they serve God, but they have only fooled themselves and others. They live one way on Sunday morning, but another way at home or at work. They say they love God, but their actions show differently. And I've seen it through many years in ministry. People can put on a false display of spirituality like this for many, many years and fool many, many people, probably themselves the most of all. And it is almost impossible to make someone who is living this kind of inconsistent life to see that they have a problem. I mean, subtle hints will not get through to this person. In verse 1, God says to shout, blast a note on the trumpet. You have to do something drastic. You have to do something, in a sense, really loud to get through to this person. John Calvin said, when dealing with hypocrisy, you need a thunderbolt. God is shouting because he wants to make sure everybody gets the message. And this is really the mercy of God to pull all of us out of any level or any degree of hypocrisy into which we might have fallen. The most clear demonstration that someone is only serving God by outward or external things 
is a lack of genuine love, generosity, thoughtfulness, compassion toward people. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. All of that has to go together. It's impossible for it not to go together. Now, the interesting thing is, as we see here in Isaiah 58, often this kind of person seems sincerely baffled by by why God is not showing up for them the way that at least the way they think he ought to. After all, they, they say, you know, we do the right stuff, we, 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 we talk the talk, we, we pray, we fast, we go to church. Why isn't God blessing us? And that's exactly what was happening here. Verse 2, day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, they seem interested in spiritual things. They say I am, a, I am God's person, I belong to God, I pray, I go to church, I worship, I even fast. They ask me for things, they seem eager for God to come near them. In other words, there's this profession of interest in God, of seeking God, of outward worship, but their heart is not in it. And that's exactly the kind of situation that God's people were in. At this point, God's people, the Jews, they were in Babylon in captivity because of their sin, and they needed God to help them. I mean, they had problems. And they wanted God to change things. They wanted God to restore them, to bless them, to revive them. And they cannot figure out why God is so distant. They say, verse 3, why have we fasted? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? They're protesting to God. The Jews typically fasted from sunrise to sunset on a fast day. Uh, Fasting, of course, basically means to stop eating for a period of time to show your sincerity, your earnestness toward God, your humility before God. Uh, it's a way of showing that you're, you are really earnest about um, something that you're asking God to do for you. It was a show of humility. Seemingly a very genuine, sincere act of worship. Yet verse 3 continues, and it says, You fast, yet on the day of fasting you do as you please. You fast, but you really just live for yourself. And you exploit your workers. And you do this real pious thing towards God, and yet, and yet you mistreat people who work for you. You take advantage of people. You use people. You ask them to do more than is reasonable. You press them hard. You underpay them or Don't pay them just wages. Verse 4, your fasting ends in quarreling or with quarreling and strife. You fast, but then you fight. You fast and you you, you you talk about how much you love God and you do things that look and sound very spiritual and yet you're you're grouchy, you're combative, you're hard to get along with. Perhaps you use abusive language, you argue. Verse 4 goes on to say you strike each other with wicked fists. I mean, either literally or figuratively, you're beating each other up. And so Isaiah is pointing out not only the inconsistency, but the complete absurdity of this kind of living. This, you know, doing out, coming to church, singing, doing outward praying, reading your Bible, doing outward acts of worship, and then in the next breath, you do something that God is not pleased with, 
at all. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like coming to church and then fighting all the way home, or, and maybe fighting all the way here, too. So there is this profession of interest in God, of seeking God, outward worship, but the treatment of other people shows that things are seriously wrong at the level of their heart. And so God says in verse 5, Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only a day for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? I believe God is being sarcastic here. I think he's using sarcasm. Uh, I don't know if any of you have a grass plant in your yard. I've loved grass plants, but when they, you know, when they get tall, they just bend over. That reed of grass just bends over. And God is saying, you guys, I see that. You know, you ha- you've got your heads bowed way down like you are so spiritual, just like a reed of grass bent way over. But you do it just for outward show. You've bowed your head and not your heart. You wore sack, sackcloth and ashes. Those are symbols of sorrow and mourning. Um, but they didn't have any real sorrow or mourning for their sin. So they did fast. They were denying themselves food. But the point is, God says, I am not pleased with a fast just that makes you go hungry unless it is a fast that also changes your heart and changes your obedience to me and the way that you treat others. The end of verse 4 says, you cannot fast as as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Certainly God literally can hear you, but he says, I'm not paying attention or I I can't take in what you're saying. I can't hear you because what you're doing is speaking so much louder. When you're living in this kind of inconsistency, God just says, I, I can't hear and answer your prayers. Peter tells husbands the same things in 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way and treat her with respect so that your prayers may not be hindered. There's something about just when we're, when we're living in just a, a deliberate uh, inconsistency that, that the scripture says our prayers won't be answered. Verse 6, is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? So he's going to tell them now, starting in verse 6, he's going to tell them, this is really what I want from you. This is the kind of fast I really want. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? <clears throat> to loose the change of in, chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free to break every yoke. In other words, stop oppressing people. Start showing mercy, compassion, and genera- generosity. Stop being mean to people. Give yourselves away in loving kindness to people. Do it in your homes. Do it in your marriage, do it in your church, do it at work, do it in the world. Verse 7, share your food with the hungry, clothe those who need clothing, provide shelter for those who lack. Do not turn your back on the poor and needy. Do not refuse to show kindness to your own flesh and blood. I mean, it's just, it's just so direct and so bold. We need to take, God is saying, if we are to live in a way that pleases him from the heart, we need to take action on behalf of those around us 
that we see in this kind of need. Verse 9 continues on with additional things. Uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of skip over some of the blessings that it talks about there in, 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 in 8. We're going to come back to that and deal with those all together. But I'm going to continue on with, the, with these exhortations or things that we need to, need to change in order to have a happy and blessed life. So verse 9 gives us additional things uh, that, we must, that we must change or must stop in order to have this happy and richly blessed life that Isaiah talks about. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of the finger, and with malicious talk. In other words, if you stop being critical of others, if you stop blaming others, stop pointing the finger, condemning others, speaking with contempt for others, stop having ill will in your heart toward others. That's, that's a component. That's something that has to change in order to have your life satisfied and to experience the joy of the Lord and have your light rise in the darkness is just one of those components that we need to do away with oppression, with pointing the finger and malicious talk. You know, I had some, I had some critical thoughts I was dealing with earlier this week that were just gaining a foothold in my mind. And I just noticed how quickly that took me into darkness, not light. You know, into gloom, not joy. Um, you know, these, this, these things are so, so practical and so real. You know, if pointing the finger and malicious talk sounds like your marriage or like your home or like your relationships with other believers or your relationships with people in your workplace, something, something is wrong. And it will have an effect it will have an effect on the degree in which you experience the light and the joy and the refreshment and the satisfaction of the Lord. Fasting, of course, means to stop, stop eating. But it's, it's interesting. Uh, God says, I want you to fast, not from food, but I want you to fast from cr- criticism and quarreling. I want you to stop being mean to people. That's the kind of fast I want. These are the kinds of things I want you to fast from, to refrain from. Now, two of the key words in this chapter are if and then. If you read through this chapter, those, are, those just pop out at you. If you do this, then this will happen. If you orient your life in this direction, then God says, I will do these things for you. Verse 10, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise. All these blessings of life will be upon you. And I want to just, I want to run down through these and, and, and just go over these uh, in, incredibly rich blessings that will be upon us if we truly worship God from our heart and then begin to treat other people the way God calls us to. Uh, number one, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your light will arise in the darkness. Your night will become like the noonday sun. And God says, I will, I will show my pleasure when I see you treating people the way that I want you to. I will, sh- I will show my pleasure with this kind of love and compassion by making light rise for you. Darkness and gloom will go. I don't know of another verse in Scripture 
that has motivated me to just just to keep going on and to try to keep giving myself um, away to other people, to try to keep pouring myself. And I, I mean, and, and I'm so conscious of of, of utter failing. I'm not saying that. I'm not boasting in that. But but still, this verse. I don't know of another verse in scripture that has done more to stimulate, to encourage me, to just, okay, keep pouring out for other people. Keep doing this because God says, if you give yourself away to people, then your, then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. In other words, you'll rebound. You'll, you'll rebound like a person suddenly recovering from illness. You'll recover Wholeness, spiritual and even perhaps physical wholeness. You will get well spiritually, certainly. Verse 11, the Lord will strengthen your, your frame. Uh, the SV says he will make your bones strong. You'll do better physically and spiritually uh, by following the Lord's prescription here. Your righteousness will go before you. you, know, if, you if you are loving God from your heart and your connection with God is genuine and you're... And you're uh, being compassionate and kind and thoughtful and generous toward others, he says, your righteousness will go before you. Genuine righteousness, just like hypocrisy, is plain to see. Your light will shine. Men will see your good works. You know, as, as Jesus said, a good tree brings forth good fruit. When your heart is right with God, you're going to bring forth good fruit. You're going to do, do good things toward other people. And your righteousness will shine like the noonday sun. It will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. The glory of God himself will protect you. Man, what a blessing. Wouldn't you like to have the glory of the Lord be your rear guard? I mean, God, the glory of God will watch over you. He will watch your back. He will protect you from attacks you are not even aware of. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You know, just, just the blessing of answered prayer. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. You just, you'll just have this continual sense that the Lord is directing your footsteps. Psalm thirty-seven, twenty-three: the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The Lord will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. You know, even if you're in some kind of desert experience, if you... If you are genuinely worship God from your heart and you're giving yourself away to people, God says, even if you're in some kind of desert experience, I will satisfy you. I will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. I mean, what a word picture. I mean, don't you want your life to be like a well-watered garden? Don't you want to flourish? Um... Flourish and prosper just with the Lord's abundance upon you. You will be called a repairer of broken walls. At this time in Israel's history, the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. They were, when they returned to the Lord in their hearts, God said that he would use them to repair those broken walls, those ruins. But there's also just a spiritual application here. If you are God's man or woman... From the heart, God will use you to, to fix broken hearts and broken homes. He will use you to restore and rebuild things that are broken. He will use you to rebuild and, and, uh, and restore things that are broken in the church. 
Verse 14, then you will find your joy in the Lord. If you give yourself away to people, he says, then you will find your joy. That joy that you've been looking for, you'll find it. What is better than that? And then I will cause you to ride the heights of the land, or I will cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. In John Gill's exposition of the whole Bible, he says this means to live above the world and to have your conversation in heaven. To be in utmost safety and enjoy the greatest plenty, especially of spiritual things. To be superior to the men of the world, even the highest of them, to have power and authority in the earth as the saints will have in the latter day. I mean, there's just, there's just this sense. You know, David said that because I meditate upon your word, I have more wisdom than all my teachers. And he talks about the blessings that come even, even above the, the people and the men and women in the highest positions in this world. You, those kind of blessings come to you if you are a man or woman of God from the heart. And I don't know how you can read this list of blessings from Isaiah and think that there could be any greater blessings in life that you could ever possibly have. I mean, if you just read through there, they are incredible. And God says, when you worship me from the heart and begin to give yourself away for others, God says, I have committed myself to reward you with these kinds of things. And then I love the way this chapter ends. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. I mean, this is, this is a word from God. You can bank on it. You can count on it. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. If you need more light in your life, if you need less gloom and more brightness, if you need to flourish like a well-watered garden, if you, if you just feel like you're dried up, you know, pay attention to God's remedy in this chapter. All right, I want to wrap up this morning um, by sharing with you some applications for us. Number one, make sure that your heart is in your worship. We always need to be checking our heart because every, everything flows out of our heart. Everything. Isaiah said this about Israel. These people honors me with their lips, but their heart is from far from me. I mean, do everything in your power so that, that could never be said of you. Watch, watch over your heart that, that that does not happen. God loves your worship when it is from your heart. He does. He loves your praise and your prayers. He is pleased. He is so pleased with your singing, your songs, raising your hands, shouting, fasting, reading your Bible, when it is done from a pure heart and a sincere heart of love and devotion to Him. God loves our worship when it is from the heart, but He despises it when it's just an outward show. He despises it when it's just a veneer, when it's just an act. Number two, worship should lead to an increased desire to obey God. Worship should lead to an increased desire to obey those things that please the Lord. I mean, it just, it's just like, I'm going to put this in the context of marriage. If I, if I 
in a sense, worship or adore my wife, then I just, the, the logical connection to that is I want to do things that please her. And if I say that I, you know, adore her or worship her in a sense, in a human sense, and then just, you know, turn around and say something really wicked or mean to her, I mean, it's just, there's, it's just absurd. It, does, it doesn't even make sense. And so worship should lead to an increased desire to obey those things that please the Lord. It really concerns me when I see people who are enthusiastic about worship, but who are not enthusiastic about obedience to God's word. And that's what Isaiah is talking That's what this whole chapter is about. These people were worshiping, they were fasting, but neglecting God's commands to care for the less fortunate among them. So, make sure that your worship toward God leads you also to just doing those things that please God, which part of that is just helping and serving others, but it really includes all areas of obedience. Third application, I think we have to realize that none of us has lived out this chapter perfectly. I mean, you can't, you can't turn this chapter um, into a law or in a way uh, that we get saved. It just, it, it just doesn't work that way. Thank God Jesus paid the price for all of our failings, all of our critical words, all of our unjust and unkind treatment of others. Amen? The price has been paid. He bore our sins in his body. Forgiveness for our sins and all, all, the, all the unkind words and things that we've done to other people, they were paid for by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. But we do have to remember that he, he redeemed us, he purified us, he accepted us completely by his grace, but so that we would be equipped for good works, uh, for the kind of things that Isaiah talked about in this chapter. So, you know, we are, we are beloved through Christ, we are accepted through Christ, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, we are washed completely on the basis of the blood of Jesus Christ. But that acceptance, that love, that forgiveness will, will lead to the kind of, of generosity, the kind of thoughtfulness, the kind of consideration, the kind of compassion that Isaiah talks about toward other people. Number four, uh, be encouraged that God will not forget your acts of kindness and self-giving. You know, God takes notice of these things. I mean, he says, if you share your food with the hungry, said, your light's going to rise like a light in the darkness. I mean, he's, he, he, he sees and he notices these things. He notices what you do. And his blessing, his favor, his reward is, is upon you for them. Those of you who go uh, to the prison ministry, those who go to the Bethel Mission and preach the gospel and share and minister and lead and worship, those who serve in VBS, those who have adopted children, who have foster children, uh, those who serve in Sunday school, those, those, who are, those of you who are living out this compassion at work, 
Those of you who are living out this kind of compassion and treatment of others in your home or in your marriage or in everyday situations that nobody hears about at the grocery store in your business dealings, those of you that are living out this kind of compassion and sincerity of generosity toward other people, God will remember you for good. Jesus said, even if you give a cup of cold water, you will be rewarded. And I love this verse from Hebrews. It says, God is not so unjust as to forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. I mean, God doesn't forget. He takes notice. He sees what you're doing. Even in your homes and families, those sacrificial acts of love for your, for your children or being up in the middle of the night or the things that you do for your neighbor uh, that, that none of us hear about at church. You know, God sees those things. And he will cause your light to rise in the darkness for it. God will bless you with the blessings of this chapter. And then the very last one that I, that I want to share with you this morning is to let the love and grace of God be your motive forgiving yourself to others. You know, you can take all of the Word of God, and you can certainly take this chapter and turn it into this kind of brutal, harsh law. I mean, I could really, I could really beat you guys up this morning from this passage. I mean, I could really beat myself up this morning from this passage. I mean, if you didn't feed a hungry person this week, you're worthless, you know? You know, you could turn this passage into a harsh, condemning law, but that's not the way we live the Christian life. Uh, God gives his salvation freely, and so we give our obedience freely to him. And I read this week something I want to share with you. It's, it's written by uh, Ulrich Zwingli. How many know who Ulrich Zwingli is? Gosh. Couple, there's a couple back there. Um, he was a reformer, one of the reformers, kind of a counterpart to Luther. But he said this, and I, I, thought, I was so blessed by it, I think it's a really amazing way to conclude this, this chapter. He says, the, the strongest and the sweetest principle in the gospel is not law. Now, he's going to tell us what it is, but he starts out by saying this, the strongest and the sweetest principle in the gospel is not law. Law comes like a tyrant with a rod to coerce the unwilling and to smite the guilty. Man is both unwilling and and guilty. Law, therefore, can but engender fear. In other words, we're un- in our natural flesh, we're unwilling and we're guilty, and the only thing law can do is cause fear, and that fear darkens the mind, enfeebles his will, and produces a cramped, cringing, slavish spirit, which ruins or spoils all he does. So then, what is the principle of the gospel? Zwingli asks. It is love. But how does love spring up in the heart of a guilty and condemned man? The gospel turns man's eye upon the Savior. He sees him enduring his suffering in his place, bearing the bitterness of the cross to give him a free forgiveness and life everlasting. That look enkindles love, and that love penetrates his whole being quickening, purifying, 
and elevating all his powers, filling the understanding with light and the will with obedience, the conscience with peace, the heart with joy, and making the life to abound in holy deeds, fruitful alike to God and to man. You know what? And that's what this chapter is all about. Being fruitful to God and to man. Loving God sincerely from the heart and then giving ourselves away to other people. And Zwingli says, that happens by us looking at the cross of Jesus. And I'm going to just repeat some of this. That it, look, Looking at the suffering of Christ, seeing the bitterness of the cross that he went through or he endured to give us free forgiveness and life everlasting. And by looking at Jesus, that look enkindles or, or builds up, causes love to rise up within us. And that love penetrates your whole being. It quickens you. It purifies you. It elevates all of your powers. It fills you with light. It gives you, it, it strengthens the will, your will toward obedience, your conscience with peace, the heart with joy. And that's what causes you to abound in holy deeds that are fruitful alike to God and to man. Thank God we don't do this on our own. Uh, thank you. Thank God for the spirit and the power and this love, this kind of love uh, that comes from looking at our Savior that causes us to want, want to give ourselves away to other people. And when we do, the reward is so awesome. Uh, our light will then rise in the darkness. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this just um, incredible chapter that's so, so challenging, so motivating. And we ask that you would stir our hearts as a church, not out of the condemnation of the law, but out of love to give ourselves away individually and as a church for other people. Lord, let us be ready to take note of, of the stranger, the visitor, the um, person with needs. Let us be quick to note the person outside of, of our own sphere of friends and family to, to love on them and to meet their needs and to be compassionate wherever we are, to be certainly in our homes, but, but also wherever we are at the store, in our workplace, God, we ask that you would so empower us to be these kinds of men and women wherever we are, that our light uh, would shine before men in this way and that we would, be, that we would abound in fruit to you and towards men by your work within us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.